Good morning. I'm Catherine. Please stand, remain standing as we read the Word of God. This is Luke 12, 1 through 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, please grab a seat. Thanks, Mark. Good morning. If you don't know why we're clapping, we're clapping for Jesus. Uh, I, uh, I heard you were trained on how to give a hand clap for Jesus while I was gone, and I'm so glad for that. Um, but we're clapping for Jesus. We wouldn't clap for just a person. That would be kind of, you know, not that big of a deal. Um, I would like to introduce myself, though. My name is Tim. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, uh, and I have not been here for three months, and it is really, really good to be back. Um, I was uh, gone on what's called a... Again, Jesus is so, so good. No, I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I do need to tell you, though, that uh, being, being on a sabbatical for three months as a pastor uh, was really, really good for my soul, and uh, I can genuinely, truly tell you that I love Jesus more now, uh, today, coming back, than I did three months ago, and if there's anything that a sabbatical is for, gosh, I hope and pray that it is for that. Um, I love uh, Jesus. I love following him and getting to know him more. Uh, I love learning about the parts of my life that need to be uh, refined and cleaned up and um, to better be able to serve and love him and be known by him. And I love being a part of a church family. Uh, somebody said as I was uh, uh, saying hi to folks this morning, uh, somebody leaned over. I won't identify them because I haven't asked their permission, but they said, hey, we did fine while you were gone, but we're glad you're back. And I need to tell you that that, that just, that warms my heart. I, I'm so glad 
uh, that uh, I, I'm not needed in that sense. I love being able to contribute to a church family uh, and serve and lead and teach and, and all the things that God's asked me to do. Uh, and, I, and then also being a part of a team and a, and a community uh, that doesn't need me in that sense. And so I, if I can, just real quick, all right, we need to say thanks to a few people, um, or I would appreciate it if you together uh, with me to say thanks. Uh, Adam, Adam, thanks for leading for three months. He's actually gonna leave now, go home and fall over and take a nap, and so thanks. No, um, Adam taught a lot and led a lot. Uh, uh, Kim taught and led a lot while I was gone. Thank you, Kim, right there. Uh, and then Phil and Connor, two of our other pastors as well, all that you guys led and carried. Uh, Johan, Maya, a part of our staff team. I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting. Um, and this is going to seem really weird, maybe, but can we just can we just say way to go, Mosaic, too? Can you just thank yourself and say, like, seriously, like, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I had a great time. Abby and I really just truly want to say thank you, uh, and that we're grateful uh, for the the investment and value that it is uh, for for me as a leader, for us as a couple, and as a family. Um, we we absolutely uh, have valued our time away and are. Uh, really good to be back. And I'm not just making that up. She started asking me about 10 days ago. Okay, going back in a few days. How do you feel? Um, get out of bed. Let's go. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and I, I, I said, I'm, I'm ready. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm ready and, and ready to go back. So um, I, I probably have some thoughts and things that I would like to share just of what God did in, in me during the time. I'm going to save that for next week. Um, we are in a, uh, a series through the book of, of Luke. Um, Actually, before I jump to that, one, one thing I, I, um, somebody just whispered in my ear before uh, I jumped up here was that uh, as Kim was talking about what it means to be a, a local church, a family that is committed to Jesus uh, and cares about the next generations, particularly kids, uh, we made a decision about 18 months ago uh, to improve our lower level uh, so that it would be better uh, space for kids and students uh, and uh, the kitchen along the way. And we're almost done with that. And so I just want to say thank you to the many of us that have invested financially in order to make that happen. We're midway through. We're, we're about 12 months through a 24-month kind of commitment uh, fundraising effort called Now and Next. It's all online. You can, you can look at that and, and go on that. But thank you for those of you that given and done all the work uh, to make that happen. And at some point when it's all wrapped up, I'm sure we'll do pictures and tour and, and all that, but it's, it's looking really, really good down there. So, hey, if you're, if you're online, um, welcome in. Thanks for being here. If you're watching at a later time, I'm glad, again, if you missed it, my name's Tim. Um, I'm supposed to be up here. I didn't hijack the stage. Uh, if you don't recognize me, uh, I was on sabbatical. It's good to be back. Here we go. Uh, we're in a book of Luke. If you have a Bible, find your way to Luke chapter 12. We just read it. We're going to continue on. Um, we're in about, just to let you know where we're at, uh, we're in chapter 12, which is midway through the book of Luke. The first 12 chapters are a little bit longer than the second 12. Um, we're going to be done uh, by the end of summer, heading into fall. It'll be about the two-year mark that we've moved through Luke. Luke and Acts are both written by a guy named Luke, you write a gospel, you get to title it after yourself, apparently. He wrote two books, and we're going to move into, into the book of Acts right as around when we hit uh, our 20-year kind of birthday celebration as a church in, in September uh, of this year. So find your way to Luke chapter 12. I'm going to invite you to pray with me, uh, and then we will be off and running and see if I remember how to do this part and ask for God's help along the way. Let's pray. 
God, you are here. This is actually your time. (laughs) You've invited us into this time to meet with you. Some of us are really ready and glad and looking forward to that. Others of us are not quite so sure. Maybe not even sure how we ended up here today. And yet we declare in this time, in this moment right now, that this is your space and that you're a God who is good, who's powerful, that you are the one that defines justice and mercy, that you are the one alone worthy of our worship and our attention and our very lives, that you see us, that in your way and in your design, you've decided that we're valuable to you. And most importantly, that you, you've decided to love each and every one of us. And so Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to let those sink in, not just to our mind and our brain, but down to our very heart, to our soul, that those realities of who you are, God, would, would form us and shape us. And Holy Spirit, we need your help to do that. And so on this Sunday morning, Holy Spirit, would you move and have your way in this space? Would you sharpen our minds so we can think clearly and deeply? Will you soften our hearts so that we can receive from you? And Jesus, We celebrate you in this place. We declare you in this place. We want to be your witnesses in this world. And so would you lead us and teach us now as we look at your words and your story to us in Scripture. Teach us now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Jesus uh, is in the midst of, and if you were here the last couple weeks and you've been tracking, you know that Jesus is in this process of, of moving from where he is to Jerusalem. Um, and it says he set his, his, his face resolutely, where, uh, which kind of forecasts, he knows the cost that's going to happen. He's going to be crucified in Jerusalem, but he's on his way there. And he's spending time, most importantly, with his disciples, those closest to him, these 12 guys, and then probably some other men and women that were close with him in his community. And he's investing in them and he's teaching them. But then a whole lot of other people are listening in and he's moving around and he's traveling but he's making his way to to Jerusalem. And if you were here last week and Adam taught, um, and uh, he spoke specifically to some religious leaders called Pharisees, and then he turns and um, the section that we're reading today and looking at is he's talking to his disciples. There's a whole lot of other people that are listening in, and we have this scene where there's these crowds that are actually trying to get to to Jesus. Um, They're trying to get, there wasn't... uh, mics and projection and sound like that then and so they they were they wanted to be within earshot and so they're pressing in on the disciples and it says that there was like thousands of them and they're all pressing and trying to get to Jesus to listen to what he has to say because Jesus is you know he's done all these miraculous things he's taught with authority he's done all these things and so people are attracted to Jesus and want to get to know Jesus so they're all coming in and Jesus as he typically does looks to his disciples and it says it starts teaching to them But we have this scene where there's all of this other noise, all this other distraction, all this crowd that is going on around, and they're pressing, and it says they're they're actually trampling one another. They're like crawling all over one another, and there's a sense of an out-of-control crowd pressing in, and Jesus looks at his disciples that are right in front of him. And I, I think what we have here is this scene that's a physical representation of the issue that Jesus is addressing in these verses. It's a, it's a physical, visual scene of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, as you follow me in this world, there will be all sorts of pressure and noise and messages 
there will be pressure on you to be a certain kind of person. The crowd's pressing in. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he talks about who will you be? Who will you follow? Who will you trust when there is all this other activity and noise around you? And we're gonna see that Jesus says, this is an issue that each and every human being has to deal with throughout the course of their life and repeatedly. And then he says, this is how I want you to handle it and here's three reasons why you should handle it this way. And then he gives some practical how to do that. So let's look at it. Verse one of chapter 12, it says this. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another, which actually means they were injuring one another. So people are getting injured trying to get to Jesus, quite a scene. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, here he goes, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Be on your guard against this thing. So be on your guard against this thing, which is this. Be on your guard, uh, be vigilant, be aware of, be prepared for, pay attention to this thing. And he says, yeast of the Pharisees, which is like, we don't, I mean, we, we don't talk like that. Like, what is that? It's got some kind of biblical um, imagery and, and it, it means something. But he just skips over that and says, let me be real clear. I'm talking about hypocrisy. Now, he's just talked to the Pharisees about this very issue. Again, if you were here last week and Adam taught through all these woes to the Pharisees, he's talking about their, their double living, their double life of caring about what's on the outside and not looking at the inside. He's just talked to the Pharisees about this. Yeast is a, you know, this, you know, in bread, it helps bread rise, but, but he says it's hypocrisy. Yeast symbolizes hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, like yeast, is if a little sneaks into your life, it begins to breed. It begins to do what it does, which is insidious, it's contagious, it's corruptive, and it begins to make you split into two people in some way or another. That's what hypocrisy is. It's leading a, essentially it's having a double life. The word itself actually is a, um, like a stage actor. That somebody that stands up in front of others and presents themselves as one way when they're not really that. Now, you walk into a theater and you know like that's, that's not who they really are. A friend of mine did a one-man show for, before Christmas um, that uh, we went to and um, I, I, had, I know him personally. I'm close with him. I know who he is and um, what he's really talented at and what he cares about and what he struggles with and all those things. The person he was portraying on stage, I knew wasn't him. And I kind of marveled at it. Like that's, I mean, it was like a, I don't know what it was, a, an hour, hour, 15 minute, one man show. I mean, it was absolutely impressive. I mean, he's a gifted guy. Room was just focused on him for all that time. It was amazing. But nobody in that room thought that's who he really is. That's what he was supposed to be doing. But we understand that you're presenting one thing, but that's not who you really are. But in this term, this word hypocrisy, when it's attached in this way to the yeast of the Pharisees, it means you're doing something for gain for yourself and trying to manipulate those and convince not just other people that that's who you are, but yourself. And so Jesus is saying, be on guard for the temptation that every single human being throughout the course of history and today, from then until now, every single one of us has had to fight in some way is this, this pull towards hypocrisy. Because there are outside realities and forces in our lives that we want to meet. 
And, and those desires to meet those are really good things. We want to be uh, accepted. We want to be accepted. That affects how we talk and act in front of other people at times. Sometimes that is good and genuine. Other times it's not really who we are. We want to find security. And sometimes that's a really good desire and longing. We do it in very genuine ways. And other times we do it in manipulative ways. where we're not really who we are. Ultimately, what we're seeking is is love. We, we want to know that we're loved. And so sometimes we present. And Jesus, in only the way that our creator can do, sees right through all of our projections of the best part of who we are and sees through that and says, no, I actually care about who you really are. I want to know you and I want you to feel safe enough with me that you don't have to have this double personality. It's one thing to do it on a stage. When we do it throughout the course of our life, what happens is, and this is another translation of the word, disassemble. Hypocrisy means to disassemble. That we actually disassemble who we are and we create two parts of who we are. And we try to live this way and we, we know that this is who we really are. And this is what's longing to be known and seen and loved. And we think presenting this. And what Jesus is saying here is be on the guard for that just human reality that we all struggle with because what it does to your very soul is it causes it to, to split into two. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I want to bring those things together. Everything that Jesus is talking about and he's training and teaching his disciples and the, the, his favorite most important topic is the kingdom. We just sang a song. This is the, the, the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer about the kingdom, the kingdom come. Jesus is saying, I have a new and better way of living and existing that he calls the kingdom, and I want to invite you into it. And the way that I invite you into that, Jesus says, is through himself. That's what we call the good news or the gospel. Jesus says, when you trust me, that's your way into the kingdom. And a life of learning what it's like to, to walk with and to know and be known by Jesus and to become more like him is called discipleship. And Jesus is is inviting those disciples that are sitting there in the front row listening to him, say, this is the kind of life that I want you to lead. It's not one where you're split, but I actually want you to be assembled. I want you to be unified. I want you to be whole and healthy. And hypocrisy is something that pushes against that. And even a little bit of it sneaks into your life, can corrupt and spread to the whole thing. And so be on guard for the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. This is an everyday, constant struggle and reality for all of us. And so if you hear the word hypocrisy and you think, I, all of the ways that I present who I'm not, I want to invite you right now to, to say no to some shame and to give yourself a little bit of grace. Because Jesus already knows that about you. And he's saying, yeah, this is, this is part of the human condition. Sin damages us in this way. And so I want to invite you some way forward. And there's some reasons why I want you to resist hypocrisy and be unified as a person. And here's some reasons why. Here's the first one is in the next verse. It says this, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Yeah, me too. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. Gosh darn it. And what you have whispered in the ear, in the inner room, 
will be proclaimed from the roofs. Seriously, Jesus? Like what? Like, I, I, I can't help but read this and, and imagine what it would be like sitting among the disciples, being a disciple in that, like, I mean, they've got to be like nudging each other and leaning over and going like, what? There's, there's no way. There's no way he's going he's gonna to know. If I go in the inner room, you know, their houses, they had these inner rooms in their houses where they would keep secure things. There was no windows. There was no, it wasn't attached to exterior walls. If I go in there, my neighbor can't hear me, right? And if I whisper it in an ear, no one else will be able to hear. There's no way that Jesus can hear that, except that Jesus literally in the previous verses was sitting down with some Pharisees and he didn't go through the ceremonial washing that the Pharisees did. And then he started speaking to exactly the questions they were asking in their mind, but they didn't verbalize. So yet Jesus kind of knows what we're thinking. Jesus says right here, so okay, the first reason to guard yourself against hypocrisy is not just what it does to our soul and, and the, the ramifications that it can have in relationships and, and all what it means to manage an exterior persona versus a genuine internal who we really, all of that stuff. He, doesn't, he goes, no, he, he just says it's not, it's a strategy that doesn't work. It's a strategy that's flawed at the very beginning. You can't really present yourself and convince everybody else of that. And the reason he says is, first off, because God knows everything. Jesus is not saying everything you say, he's recording and will play back for everyone else. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I have in my office, at my desktop computer, my office here, I have a, a, a turquoise, dark turquoise post-it over the camera on the computer. Does anybody have one of those? Yeah. I don't know why. Seriously, there's more than two of you that have that. Yeah. Not a post-it tape, Band-Aid. You've, you've painted over it, something. You've, you've, you've locked the camera on your computer so it can see you. There's really only three of us. Okay, I'm so weird. Okay, we're just, we're gonna move past that then. I thought, I thought like half of us would have that. Somebody along the way told me like they had it on their computer and they're like, yeah, somebody could hack that and, and see me. And I was like, where's a post-it? Like put it on, no, I didn't. But I just said, oh, okay, sure, I'll put that there. So every Zoom meeting I start, starts with me in a turquoise room and I have to peel it off. And, I mean, so, okay, some of you do not have Alexa because she's listening all the time and recording it. Is that true? How many of you? We'll get better at raising our hands. I'm not buying that at all. We do not have Alexa in our home because I, you know, I don't want everything recorded and I don't need to be in a constant conversation with Jeff Bezos. So, like, that's... That's not what, what Jesus is talking about, is like somebody's recording it and going to play it out. What Jesus is saying is that you can't hide from God. Like, God knows everything. God knows everything about you. He's not distracted. He's not preoccupied. He doesn't have too much on his calendar. He has got who he is in his character, in his being, is he is able to know everything about you. Whether you think you're too boring or, 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 or too, too wrong or evil or something's corrupted about you like, and that he would just turn away. That, that's, that's not how God works. He, just, he knows all of it about you. And Jesus is saying, hypocrisy, trying to present yourself as something you're not in order to get the very things that your soul needs, love, acceptance, security, doesn't work with God. You can try it with other people. It works here and there with other people. He says, it, it doesn't work with God. God knows everything. He's going to see, Jesus is not threatening. Hey, disciples, I'm going to record everything and then present it from the rooftops. 
He's saying, no, there's, there's just no hiding. That's the first reason. God knows. The second reason is this. And he says this, I tell you friends, in the next verse, verse four, I tell you friends, and this is kind of cool. The, the only place that the word friends shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three books of the New Testament, all about Jesus, is right here. It shows up in John, but John's different. He's artistic and he writes in a completely different way. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. And the book of John is the fourth gospel in our, in our lineup. And it's, it's very, very different. And John was friends with Jesus anyways. He's the one in the painting that's leaning on Jesus. He's the one that's called a friend of Jesus throughout. I mean, John's kind of in a different category. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is the only time that we've recorded that Jesus looks at his disciples and calls them friends. Catch that. Right after he says, you can't hide. You got nothing. You conceal nothing. I know it all. I see it all. I hear it all. All of it is out there. And we're friends. He calls them friends in this place. So I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. If we can for a moment, can we just, like, this is some hard stuff right here. It's talking about fear, first of all. And then Jesus says very clearly, do not fear those that can harm your body. Now, he's not saying don't be smart with where you go at night and those, you know, like those kinds of, that's not what he's talking about. He says there's, there's power in this world. Human beings have power. There are other powers in this world that can harm your physical body. In comparison to those powers and those people, don't fear them, but fear. And it, and it, it is a sense in this reverence, awe. Fear the one who after your body is dead has the power to throw you into hell. Like, that's not like, a, like an awesome starting point to, isn't God great? Isn't he wonderful, is it? I mean, that, feel, that hits us as a little bit like, wait, that seems a little brutal. Like, can we go on another tact? Is there another way around this? Jesus goes right to him, friends. There is only one person. There is only one being who has the power to when everything else is done on this earth to decide where you spend and exist for all of eternity. What Jesus is doing here that is so amazingly relevant for our day today is that there are two things that we like to do away with. There's two things that our, our world, our culture, is refined at debating about and discussing. Do we have a soul? And what happens for all of eternity? Is hell a real thing? Now think about that for a minute. Do we have a soul? Maybe you, you haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this. But, but here's what Jesus is doing. He's telling his disciples, you have a soul. You will exist for all of eternity. They already had it because of the culture they brought up, grew up in and the families and the schools that they brought in. They already believed that. But for us today, we need to hear that. We have a soul. 
I read a great book on my sabbatical called uh, God on the Brain, and it was talking about a lot of the, the most recent brain uh, research and the studies that are being doing. And because of the technological advances of our day and age, we can study the brain in new ways. And, and it's fascinating. He, he categorized all these, these things and told us the development of, of research and was asking really these kind of deep philosophical questions. But at the end of it, he's saying, all that we can understand about the mind and the brain and how it works, we still, scientists, who do not believe in God, still are at the point where they're saying that there's things that they cannot explain for, for human beings' choices, reactions, and, ex- and feelings and emotions. There's a lot of chemical understanding that we now have. But if the brain is just the brain and the body is just the body, and after these things decay, we just go back into the dust and the dirt, and that is the end of our existence. There are things that the foremost brain scientists today cannot explain or understand. And so they take the hypothesis that we as human beings are just physical matter and they cannot move it into fact, but they have to leave it in theory today. There's a lot that would like to move it into fact, but it has to stay in theory. And the reason is I believe and scripture teaches is that we have a soul that is not just merely our physical brain, but there is something more going on And even if you're here and you're like, I'm not sure I buy that yet. My guess is, is that you would actually like that to be true. That you do have a soul. That there is more than just this timeline and existence and physical matter that we can see, touch, feel, and measure. There's so much more to who we are as created beings. But then he goes a step further. He says, not only do you have a soul, But even if somebody in this world, with their power in this world, were to kill that body, your soul would continue. And where it continues is of utmost importance. And Jesus actually talks about hell. So we're going to talk about hell. If Jesus talks about it, we probably shouldn't avoid it. It's probably pretty important. We hear hell, and most of us right now that are listening, we think immediately of some philosophical debate of what happens to the soul after this life, if there's a a place like heaven, if there's a place like hell. And that's a worthy conversation and there's a ton of history and philosophy and theology and all that that goes with it. But Jesus is doing something different here. He uses a word that doesn't have to do with metaphysics and philosophy and the realm beyond that is so mysterious we can't understand. Jesus does something else. He actually talks about an address, Like like a literal Google location. That's the word that Jesus uses here. It's the word Guiana. And Guiana was not jump something out in the unknown that we can't know. It's something that everybody that was pressing in on the crowd there and certainly the disciples would have known. If he said, let's have a race right now, a foot race to Guiana, they all could have raced there. Guiana was the trash dump in Jerusalem. Southwest corner of the city, off of the temple. And if they ran there at that moment to Guiana that Jesus is talking about, what they would have seen as a trash dump that was burning. And the fire was burning, the smoke was always going. We don't do that in the city here. But you drive out in the countrywide at some points and you see like, oh, people can burn trash on this day, right? Imagine that being in your city, always going every day, just a, a smoke plume. It was a reminder to people that that's the trash dump, but it was more than that. It was a place, a physical place on a map that people dumped their trash at that was always burning. But before that, it was an open, empty field that nobody wanted to go on. And the reason nobody wanted to go on that open, empty field is because generations before that, that empty field wasn't just empty, but it was a ritual sacrifice 
location to where people who said we want in our life security and acceptance and confirmation and even love that we're going to reach for it in some way and the way that they reached for it was to follow in and believe in the God of Moloch and they did it so desperately that they would take their children their infants and they would walk them to that location and priests of Moloch would sacrifice their children in that location we cannot even hardly fathom that It's a people that had gone so far away from what God had invited them to that that place was remembered even to the day when it was a trash dump constantly burning, that what had gone on there was so far from the goodness that God invites us to that they had to remember that is the ultimate ending of dignity for a human life. And that is the exact opposite of what God wants us to hear and know from him. And so when Jesus is talking about hell, he's talking about an experience that so diminishes human life that it would need to be remembered in a city generation after generation. This is not our God. God is not about this. He does not want anyone to experience that level and lack of dignity. Our God is the exact opposite. And Jesus is saying, you have a soul And because you have a soul, God desires that you be with him and not in a place that is separated from him, which lacks the dignity that he has designed and placed in each and every one of us. That's what Jesus is saying. And it says, yes, fear him. And yeah, we can talk about fear and perfect love drives out fear. And God wants us to have a sense of awe and reverence for him. And here's, here's the reality that that Jesus is reminding his disciples of right now and that we can hear. There is someone more powerful than us and we're invited to know him. There's always someone more powerful. There's somebody that's got more power than you in your, in your work structure, the supervisor over you. There's somebody that's bigger and stronger on your block in your apartment building. We look around, we always know that there's other people that are more powerful. We know that we're not the most powerful and when we are, gosh, we screw that up. There's somebody that is more powerful than us. And so Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be split people. I want you to be assembled into one and that your soul is unified. And the first reason is that God knows everything. The second thing is that God is the most powerful one and he has desires and plans for you. And then he moves to the third one. And this is one of the most familiar phrases maybe that comes from scripture that even if you don't know the Bible at all, you've probably heard this referred to before. And he says this and he shifts to this so quickly are not five sparrows worth two pennies? And again, I picture the disciples going, wait, what? There's a sale on? Like Philip like just splits and goes to the store and he's like, I gotta get my sparrow. Like, I don't know what that does, but he just says that five sparrows are sold for two pennies, which normally it's two sparrows for one penny and then there's four would be two. And so they're, 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 they're thrown in an extra one. Why? Because it's a special deal day? No, because they don't matter. Sparrows don't matter. They're not significant. They're not important. They're the lowest thing of all, this, all the sacrifices to offer at the temple. They're the, they, they cost the least. That's the, the people who have no money who are really destitute and poor come in and they still, they got a penny or two that they can sacrifice a sparrow. Sparrows are not that important yet. Not one of them is forgotten by God. The God of the universe sees each and every sparrow, which you guys don't even care about. It's not that important. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
I just want to leave a moment of silence for any jokes you want to tell in your own head about baldness or hair growing where you don't want it to grow and just get that out of the way. So your hairs are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Don't you love how Jesus talks? Jesus moves from talking about us having a soul that always exists and never ceases to exist and hell the worst scene and story that took place in Jerusalem prior to the crucifixion. And then all of a sudden shifts, and what does he say? You are worth something to God. You matter to God. You are valuable. That Jesus just shifts gears that fast. God knows everything about us. God is most powerful. And then the next thing he says is, is God says you're worth something. When we hear that God knows everything about us, we can often think like God's watching us, Right? that God watches, and that, that has a very different impact on us than say maybe that God sees us, right? Think of it in terms of parenting. What's the difference between watching over your kid to make sure they don't do something wrong and shift gears? The challenge of parenting is always ongoing to see your kid for who they really are, to actually see them and know them. Hagar says in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, that she referred to God by name. This, was, this is how she referred to him. The name that she had for God. The God who sees me. And why? Because she was the pregnant slave that was sent away by Abraham's wife out into the desert. I think she was given like a, a jug of water. You're pregnant, go out there. And God speaks to her and says, no, I'm going to protect your child. It's going to be a son. This is what he's going to be like. And her response is, you see me, you know me. But then God goes and says, no, you're valuable. Sparrows? You want to talk about sparrows? Oh, sparrows got nothing on you. A sparrow's a bird. I mean, great. I mean we love, we love animals. Animals are great, right? Like, yeah, okay, awesome. God says, yeah, I made them all. I know all about them. You, as a human being, you, the pinnacle of all creation, you are valuable. Your name, your story, where you came from, where you're headed. God knows all that and he cares about it. He's not distracted by it. He's not bored of it. He, you are valuable to God. And that also reminds us that God loves us. That God loves us. And the way that we know that he loves us is that he chose to send his son for us. That God loves each and every one of us. You need to hear that. We need to hear that. We need to remind it. We need to sit in that and go, this is who God is. This is God's character that he takes time and attention to see each and every one of us. That he decides that we're valuable. And all of that grows out of his love for us. Let me ask you a question. Is that the story that you wake up telling yourself in the morning? I'm not, you don't have to raise your hand. Too few of us too rarely tell ourselves that story. What story do we tell ourselves? I'm almost there, but I'm not there enough. I'm not quite good enough. I did this again. I said this again. I thought this again. I felt this again. This happened to me. I don't know that God knows this about me. I don't think I'm valuable. I'm pretty certain I'm not valuable because enough people over my life has treated me like I'm not valuable. I don't even know that I'm lovable. 
these are the ingrained stories and narratives that too many of us live with. And what we need to do is take this message and the story that God offers us in the person and work of Jesus and lay that right over it and experience how the human proclivity to live two separate lives all of a sudden can come together and go, oh, there's someone who knows me. There's someone who knows every single thing about me and says, I'm not only still valuable, but I'm worthy of love. The good news and the story of Jesus Christ does not make sense outside of these realities of the character of God. And in fact, they are the absolute demonstration of the character of God. That God sees us, knows us, and says we're valuable and loves us. And so Jesus is saying, don't live a split life. Don't allow your, your soul, your heart, and your motives to be disassembled and, and, and to become two different people in order to get what I'm readily offering you now. But receive it from me and let me put it back together over the course of your life. I'm about out of time. Let me hit two quick things of how Jesus says, try, try this out. The first is this. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. He's, Jesus is saying, do you want to try this out? Do you want a way to, to live not... not a hypocritical life, but a unified life that's trusting me. One is to, is to readily acknowledge me before others. To say, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I know Jesus. Kim shared earlier that you, at a neighbor's house and saying, how do I talk about my church? And didn't she do a great job of it? Like, I, it's, it's a church that follows Jesus. Like, I'm not going to tell you what color our building is or what color our people are or any other thing. It's about Jesus. That's the first thing, Jesus. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. But, but he says, acknowledge me. If you start acknowledging me, I'm going to show up and be there for you in new ways. And then there's a little thing about blasphemy, which is a whole other thing that we don't have time to get to, but it's, sorry. Um, verse 11, when, when you are brought before the synagogue leaders, this is the second thing. He says, how do you live this out? When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. When the pressures of the world and the crowd and the noise starts pressing in and you think, I don't know that I can stand up and say, I love Jesus. I've been transformed by Jesus. When you don't know that, remember in that very moment that the Holy Spirit is with you and will empower you. And the, the fascinating thing about this is it says, there's not a lot of pre-work and study to be done ahead of time. It's an in-the-moment trusting. The Holy Spirit is, is with me. And Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will actually teach you what to say in the moment. There's not a lot of reading and prep to, to step into some kind of, before the synagogue or before rulers or before your neighbors or before your spouse or before your family or for your friends. Or that, okay, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to have the right answer. Yeah, you're not. If, if you always had the right answer, then the Holy Spirit would have a whole lot more time off. He is vigilant and ready and accessible and ready to speak through you. Our challenge is learning to be in tune with what the Spirit is doing. I love that back in September we did signups for something called triads and there's about 50 or so, a little bit more than 50 people that signed up and said, hey, we want to try this out. Of what it's like with two other people learning to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice, would we grow in that and be able to say, God, would you put me wherever you want me? And in that place with those people, would I speak your name and would you help me know what to say when I'm questioned, when I'm anxious or when I'm insecure? 
And Jesus is saying, these are, there's a whole lot of other things of how we can live and not be hypocrites. But these are the two things that Jesus said, I want to start with these. Jesus has promised to be with us all the time. Most of us long to have that be more of our day in and day out experience. What if we tried these things? What if we tried finding more ways to speak his name throughout our day? And what if we tried more ways to say, Holy Spirit, would you, would you remind me that you're with me right now? Would you speak through me? Would you help me to stand up and guard against hypocrisy in my own life and in this world and to resist the pressures from the outside that so often lean in on me? Would you help me be that kind of person? One way that we do this here on a regular basis is not just coming and opening up scripture together, not just singing together, but to come to these tables and to be reminded that God sees us, that he values us, and that he loves us so much so that he would die for us, that Jesus would come into our human reality, live, walk, breathe, eat, laugh, debate, walk, wander, all of it, the human experience, and then give his life and die because he sees us because we're valuable because he loves us. So we're gonna continue to sing. And as you're ready, I invite you to come to these tables up here. And there's a little cup with juice in it. And that represents Jesus' blood shed on the cross. And there's a little dish with a cracker in it that represents his body broken. And we do this because Jesus, I, I, I wanna be with you. I want you to taste and rem, be reminded and remember of who I am and what I've done for you. Jesus, as we come today, we celebrate that you love us and we want that to be more of our story that we tell ourselves that we wake up with in the morning. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help us to do that? And as we sing now, as we reflect now, as we walk in, for those of us that are going to take communion in this way right now, would you meet us in, in yet a new way? Would you bring something to mind, to heart, that reminds us that you're with us, that you know us, that you love us? We need you, Jesus. We want to follow you. We want to be your voice and your witness in this world. We need your help to do that.